What's up, Fight Fans? It is Monday, December 4th, 2017. This is the Monday Morning Analyst. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this podcast. Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. What a fun little podcast we have for you guys today. Three events to talk about. We're really not going to go into all three into major detail because there's no reason to. And I like to keep this thing a little bit brief if I can. Moving. So we're going to talk about the, uh, we'll have it on Friday, Bellator 189. We're going to talk about briefly uh, the Ultimate Fighter 26. There was a new champion crowned. And then we're going to talk about UFC 218. I guess we'll go actually in the other order. We'll go 218 then backwards. Those are the three events we're going to talk about. Then we're going to look at some uh, stuff about why. We'll look at things in more detail in the second segment. And then we'll look at what's coming up ahead in the final third segment. Not a moment to waste. I really just want to get right to it if we can. As I mentioned now, I'm not going to go into detail about every single fight on this. By the way, if you want to see my full breakdown of UFC 218, you can go check out the Monday morning, excuse me, my um, my post-fight special that I had on my own YouTube channel up here. I'll post that for everyone who wants to see it. But let's take a look at where the uh, major work starts. Uh, Max Holloway defeating Jose Aldo at 451 of the third round. This was at the Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, Michigan, for an attendance of 17,587 for a gate of 2 million. That's very nice. Those are very respectable numbers. Um, for the UFC, so it should be noted, I had a bit of a down year, that actually ended up looking pretty good for them. Uh, Max Holloway again defeating Jose Aldo, almost identically to how we finished him the second time. I don't want to spoil it, but I went back and I watched the first time they fought, UFC 212, and then I went back and I watched this one just to see how Max Holloway did it, and I came across a detail that I couldn't believe. I was... Max Holloway is so smart and so capable, it's going to blow you away. We're going to look at that in the second segment, but what can you say about it? It just felt like to me... Six months between fights is just not enough time against a guy like Max Holloway. And he gets better and better and better. You know, maybe an immediate rematch within a month would have been better or something. But even then, I just don't think. I think, generally speaking, Max is just way ahead anyway. And more to the point, what is Holloway reasonably going to be able to add to his game in that amount of time to make up the difference? Nothing. I mean, when you're 31, your game is basically complete. Um, you can sharpen up some things. You can get a game plan in a certain direction. But you're more or less the fighter that you are. And I think you saw that. And more to the point, when I explain how... Max Holloway did it in the second segment. Seriously, I saw that and I was like, Max, you clever, you clever dog. It is, I haven't seen anybody talking about it, and I was shocked, shocked. You cannot believe how modular the game of, Max, I mean, I don't want to make the comparison, and you, all right, I'm going to make it, but I'm hesitant to make the comparison because of the political, uh, implications of what this device means to contemporary gun debates in MM, in, uh, in America. But just hear me for a second. Max is like an AR-15. And what I mean by that is the AR-15 is a modular weapon. So on you can add a lot of different um, components to it, whether it's um, so that you enable you, you to um, fire more rounds, to see better, to hold it better, um, it, it has, it is able to be built upon in a way where a lot of other weapons are simply are as they are. You get an old, you know, bolt action rifle. There's not, I mean, there's some stuff you can add to it. You could probably put on a better scope or something. Um, but it, it, they're designed to essentially just be what they are. Um, and there's modular homes too. There's, a, there's all kinds of modular things in the world. I'm just trying to, without getting into too much of a non-MMA territory here, just impart to you, just without considering the larger debate about this, just think about what that means to have a weapon that is, um, you know, relatively basic in nature, but that you can add things to it 
to make it do certain other things it needs to, and it can essentially fulfill those requirements by those modular add-ons uh, very, very easily. It's very malleable in terms of mission accomplishment. It's very, very um, um, easy to build out for a variety of different purposes. Uh, Max Holloway's game is modular. It, it can do a lot of things, basically, and if he just adds certain strategies or brings out other parts of his game that he needs for something else, um, he can just go do it. It's incredible. It's incredible to watch uh, a master tactician like uh, Max Holloway. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's able to do and how he's able to redefine fighting in terms of you know, awareness of an opponent, in terms of... Um, um, such a total command of the fundamentals that he can go and do a lot of things that seem impossible for even other really talented guys. Again, I'll explain that in the second segment, but Max Holloway at 25-26 is an absolute treasure. Francis Ngannou defeating Alistair Overeem at 142 of the second round. I mean, what do you want to say about this? A lot of people were like, well, Alistair's chinny and, 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 and Arlovsky's chinny. Yeah, that's true. But did you see physically what Ngannou did to his body with the punch, like with the physical impact it had on him, the whiplash that it seemed to have nearly caused. I mean, that's that's it's an extraordinary amount of power. Uh, I, I really don't know how anyone can deny that. I mean, it's just an absolute force of nature, terrifying thing for him to be able to do that. And to find like the reactive time in the middle of some kind of chaotic, you know, cross punch battle, right, where they're both throwing their heavy punches at each other, and to be able to find that in motion and then and just absolutely like nearly take his head off, I mean, that punch would have knocked out a horse. Let's be real about that. So, yes, I agree that Overeem and Arlovsky, the two of the bigger names that he's put down, don't quite have um, the wherewithal to withstand some of the bigger punches anymore in their career, but, I mean, just watching what it did to his body and... Seeing how other people have KO'd over him in ways I, I've never seen him KO'd like that. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. And now they've set themselves up for a brilliant match versus Stipe Miocic. And the great part about it is Nganu, I think at this point we can all say, a better striker than we probably imagined. Um, clearly a natural for the game, but doesn't have much time. And there's still a lot of questions about maybe cardio in the third round or... Uh, wrestling skills. So the match against Miocic, provided he competes in it in a certain way, provides a great amount of intrigue. Uh, Henry Cejudo defeats Sergio Pettis 30-27 across the board. Not a lot to say about this one other than Cejudo's better wrestling uh, and more natural wrestling, you know, able to grab the leg and wrench it up and then dive him over. Um, you know, it's hard to do. That's actually not a very easy takedown to do. You have to basically pull them into you and up and over to get him to do it, but if you're if you've been doing it for 20 plus years, it probably comes a little bit more natural to you than somebody else. Um, not the prettiest one in the world, not the most dominant one. Certainly one that's going to leave some questions about which direction the UFC is going to go for Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw. But uh, a, a very clean win, a dominant win, and getting back on the winning track after those back-to-back -back losses that he had had previously. Uh, Eddie Alvarez defeating Justin Gaethje at 3:59 of the third round via KO knee. This one got warmer and warmer and warmer. It wasn't quite the barn burner I thought. I think folks thought it was going to be, although it was tremendous. Don't don't misunderstand me. 
that I think folks thought from the word go it was going to be Rock'em Sock'em. But really the reality was Eddie Alvarez had a fantastic game plan of just constantly touching, 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 firing a heavy shot, getting out of the way, touching, 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 touching. So it kept Justin Gaethje making a lot of reactions, which then Eddie Alvarez could read and adjust to. It kept Justin Gaethje a little bit offensively muted. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's not... If you're looking for offensively mute, that's not the best example of it, but I'm, I'm merely saying relative to what he's capable of at the higher end, he was somewhat pushed down in terms of what he could do because Eddie Alvarez just stayed in his face, stayed in his face, stayed in his face. Um, pretty amazing job by him. The resiliency physically after his face blew up and his leg was a disaster uh, is just remarkable. And now he's got wins over former Strike Force champ Melendez, former UFC champ Pettis. Obviously, he became the UFC champ by beating another champ in RDA. He now has beaten Justin Gaethje, the World Series of Fighting champ. He has now beaten uh, the Bellator champ, or the previous one, in Michael Chandler. And you can add in Dream, Alki, and even, there's actually some even some other ones you can throw in there. So you've got UFC, WFC, Strike Force, Dream, World Series of Fighting, and Bellator. He beat all those champs. Yes, he did not beat Conor McGregor. I know. No one's resume is perfect, neither is Connor's. But to have that many other scalps on your resume, pretty goddamn impressive by one Eddie Alvarez. Tisha Torres defeating Michelle Waterson, 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. Just seems like Michelle Waterson's not really great for this weight class. She's very, very talented. I think she can do a lot of things. But she's outsized. In this one, she was just kind of out-muscled a little bit. There were times when she had like a little bit more speed and hustle in certain positions. And then Tisha Torres was able to back her up with strikes or be in the clinch and sort of physically not manhandle her. But you could just tell there was a, 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 one athlete was physical for that weight class anyway. And then when you compound that problem with the fact that Watterson's is just not natural at this one, she just never really could get out of first or second gear. Um, from the preliminary card, not everything worth mentioning. Paul Felder defeating Charles Oliveira at 4.06 of the second round. An incredible job to hang on. Uh, he did make one mistake sticking his leg in between, which allows the, the choke to be wrenched even tighter. But he managed to get out of that. And as I mentioned on my post-fight special on Saturday night, he struck the right balance between staying calm but also being urgent. A lot of people can't quite get that right. They either really panic or they don't panic enough. Where they just say, oof, I'm going to stay calm. And then something gets worse. And now it's really too late. You actually were so calm that you didn't have enough sense that, like, you don't want to act like your hair's on fire, but you want to know enough to you need to put the fire out. And he got that just right. And then, of course, staying in the guy's guard and banging him out with those vicious elbows. What was that back to back elbow KOs for him? Something like that. I mean, Paul Felder is really coming along. What a great broadcaster he is. And I really like seeing developing lightweight talent. You know, he was on a rocket ship to the stars, had a bit of a setback, but now he's building the other components of his game, and it's really exciting to see. Charles Oliveira, you know, either he wins by sub or he just gets, he just collapses. How about Yancey Medeiros and Alex Oliveira, 202 of the third round. Yancey wins. A couple things for Yancey. Had that transition where he was able to balance off the posting leg and turn his hip over to stay up on top. I mean, after you've been beat, that's hard to pull off no matter what. After you've been beat down for a couple of rounds, that's that's insane. When he turned to get up on top, grabbing the left hand of Alex Oliveira so he could force him over. I've never seen that before, but it works. That's, that's a nice little trick that he was able to show. So real actual technical maturity in certain ways, but obviously what defines that fight is just, it's, I mean, what those two guys sacrificed on the altar of athletic glory that night will 
go down in history. Certainly is one of the most entertaining UFC fights uh, ever. Um, I don't know if it's around. I mean, I don't know if it's fight of the year. I, I tend to like fight of the year ones where it's um, equal parts technical and crazy, and this one's just more crazy than technical. Although they also had its technical moments. Um, but you know, just I mean, the, uh, just tremendous will. Most fighters couldn't compete like that, much less average persons off the street. You really saw something there. You know, guys pursuing the fight despite the physical consequences, the textbook definition of gameness. Um, and these two had it, and they had it in spades. And for Yancey Medeiros, you know, he's taking a lot of punishment. I'm a little bit worried about that. But for him to give and take like that on a night, on a night you know, maybe, I don't know if I'll ever win a UFC title, but I can say definitively that that guy is something special. And so is Alex Oliveira. And apparently Brazil versus Hawaii is the new awesome rivalry. I wasn't really aware, but it works out pretty nicely, actually. Um, David Tamer defeating Jakar Close, Felice Herrig defeating Courtney Casey, um, Amanda Cooper just ragdolling Amanda, excuse me, Angela Magana, Abdul Razak Al Hassan defeating Samah Homasi. Not a great call by Herb Dean. It was clear that he dropped and then got clipped on the way down after the replay. In real time, it was hard to tell exactly what happened, but to me, it didn't matter because once he was down and on the leg, he was driving into it, and for. To me, for Dean to stop that, like, look, is it the end of the world? I don't think it's the end of the world. Maybe if you're Homasi, it is. But he's a referee. He's human. He's going to make a lot of good calls. Occasionally, he's going to make a call that's not that great. So I think this was a call that's not that great. Um, but I think his larger body of work is pretty exemplary. Dominic Reyes defeating Jeremy Kimball relatively easily at 339 of the first. And then Justin Willis, big pretty, defeating Alan Crowder. KO punch, 233, the first one. I think he's just kind of, I don't know, it seemed like he watered it more, which I know is sort of like a mindless platitude. He seemed to have just, uh, it was naturally able to double, triple up on the same side because Crowder wasn't addressing the punishment. So nice win for a developing heavyweight prospect in Justin Willis. That takes us to the Ultimate Fighter 26 finale, which took place at the Park Theater in Las Vegas. Not going to go through all of these. Just a couple of notes about this one. Nico Montano defeating Roxanne Modafferi. 50-45, 49-46, 49-46. I thought Modafferi had her moments here or there. Certainly she's a dramatically improved fighter. It just looked to me like Nico Montano was a little bit... I mean, physically, like if you, if you didn't know her age, you still would look at this and say that's a more spry, capable athlete doing the things she needed to do on the ground to not let the position get away from her. You saw a lot of that. Um, she was able to back up Motoferi a lot with strikes. She was able to put heavier strikes in together in combination. Just seemed like physically the more present of the two. So if there's a technical level that's more or less the same, and I think there's probably some strengths that Motoferi has, that they're more or less the same, roughly equal, the more physical athlete will stand out. And to me, that's really what, what I saw there. So congratulations to the new women's flyweight champion in Nico Montano. Sean O'Malley defeating Terry and Ware. A little dicey for him early. Sean O'Malley has an incredibly exciting style, but he's got his defense requires a lot of work. It's not just if you're if you're here and you just slip. Why is that important? Well, one, you're not traveling very far, so you can get back to where you need to, to then fire your offense. Right? You can begin to do things. But the other part is if I just slip and get back, right? If I just if I just get off the side and come back, I'm not spending a ton of energy to move, right? I'm just it's just quick. Versus whoosh and whoosh. I mean, he spends a ton of energy moving. And he had to kind of catch a second win, but then once he did, you know, the guy's a really capable, effective, modern MMA striker. He is. You know, he can switch stances. He can catch you at angles. He darts and then gets off at an angle, a la Groovy Lando style. He can do a lot. It's just that defensively, um, he has to work on that because there's going to be some other guys that are going to make him either work more and get him tired or just exploit openings as a consequence. 
Lauren Murphy defeating Barb Honchak in a very close contest, 29-28. This was a woman who was very maligned coming into this show. This was a nice moment for redemption for her. Gerald Mearshart and Eric Spicely, TKO body kick, liver kick, kept going back to it. Dug one up under the elbow and dropped him. It was pretty nice. Uh, Deanna Bennett defeating Melinda Fabian via, excuse me, it was actually a majority draw, which makes sense because the fight was largely um, terrible. Uh, Brett Johns defeating Joe Soto with calf slicer, 30 seconds in. Here's what happened. They locked up. He goes for a single oh, with the head inside. He pulls his head to the outside. And then he can feel that Soto is setting up for like an, or uh, that uh, Johns is setting up for a knee bar or something. So actually, you'll go look closely. Soto initiates the roll. Why does he initiate the roll? Because it, it was, it, we, we talked about how we've never seen a Baron Bolo in MMA, or at least in UFC. And that's true, except this one would have been a semi-close version. Because what he was trying to do was something I call a mirror back take. If I, uh, you, if you and I are standing like this, and then one of us rolls, and then leg hooks the other one and rolls through, you can actually dig up under, behind their rear end, you can come out the back and then take their back. You push, if your leg, you essentially push them over and then you come out and you take the back. That's what he was uh, going to be capable. He, he, you actually look, you can see him trying to dig behind I'm just going to say it, the rear end of John's, because if you can get your head underneath, you could then climb up if you can, and then you adjust their hips over. He was trying to do that, but he left his legs open, and John just grabbed it, figure forward his, and cranked it down. Really great presence of mind by uh, Brett Johns, but kind of makes you wonder what we were going to see with um, if someone had actually... I've never seen anyone in UFC hit that back take. You see it all the time in jiu-jitsu, in modern jiu-jitsu, um, where they're able to like roll underneath and then use their hips to get them over and behind them. Um, they, they, it's the same kind of way, almost, the, almost how a Baron Bolo works as well. And, uh, and yeah, he almost got it. Uh, Ryan James defeating Andrew Sanchez, took a hellacious beating and found a way to came back. Great job by him. Uh, Rachel ostovich Burdon winning via armbar. Also, Montagna De La Rosa defeating Christine Marks via armbar. Let me say something about some of these armbar submissions. Uh, Emily Whitmire's loss, I think, was a little more defensible. But there was a couple of arm bars on here, uh, specifically the Kareen Givorgian one and the Christina Marks one. I'm very hesitant to criticize a fighter. And I know a lot of folks are like, oh my God, there's so many arm bar finishes. Let me just say this very clearly. There was just for, I, I'm not trying to be demeaning. I'm not here to say I'm an expert on arm bars. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying I could do better. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that was not very high level arm bar defense. And I don't think you're going to find a lot of people who can credibly claim that it was. And that's not the end of the world. Sometimes people can be hurt and they can do that. But to get someone from an armbar from the guard while they're fresh, so 2.53, uh, excuse me, 1 minute and 40 seconds of one round and then 2 minutes of another round, you're still very fresh at that point. It should not be that easy. It should be very, very difficult. An armbar from the guard against somebody who's really good or even, you know, very te- not even very technical, just technical and solid should be extremely hard without hurting them first, a la um, Anthony Pettis, ben- Benson Henderson. Or, or some other kind of weird mistake. It's, it's, it's very hard where if I'm underneath and I frame, and you saw Motiferi do this, what did Nico Montano do? She would cover the hips. Every time no one would frame here, every time someone would frame here, no one would follow. I mean, that's, ju- that's just the first, I mean, if you're not doing that, you, you, I, I, I don't know how else to say it without coming across um, you know, overly judgmental. That's just... That's just really poor armbar defense. And even against, I think, I don't know if it was the Rachel Ostovich one, where she, like, literally, to get an armbar appropriately, you have to create an angle underneath, 
right? You can do it head on, but it's kind of weird and it takes certain setups. You have to get your, you have to like press on the hip. You have to turn underneath and you have to bring their arm across with you. And you have to get the leg over the face uh, or the, you know, the, the back leg over the face. So your calves, when they crunch down, can pull, pull everything down and tight. That's what you need, right? Rachel Ostevich, and this is not her fault. I mean, if they give it to you, just take it. I think it was her. It could have been the other one. But one of them just puts their calf on the face and uses that to then help them rotate over. Yo, like if someone gets underneath and they frame on you, you know you have to cover. If someone gets underneath of you and then uses a leg across, two legs across the face, but the second one, which is the one that indicates the armbar, to then push them across, you have to know an armbar is coming. You have to know an armbar. I mean, it's like... It's like a pitcher winding up and you're in the batter's box. What do you think is about to happen next? He's about to launch that thing at you. You got, I, I'm just, it's, it, it was, you know, I, I, women's MMA has is, is come a long way, but, and I'm here to say this is some, you know, defining example of all women's MMA because at the top they did really good stuff and, you know, look, there's going to be some incredible champions in this weight class and credit to all the ladies who won. You take what they give you. But uh, I, I haven't been that shocked about armbar defense probably in the UFC ever. That was really, really um, not up to par. And then Jillian Robertson defeating Emily Whitmire. Hers, hers was now hers was nice, much more. Uh, Whitmire's is a little bit more defensible, uh, although not. Whit, Whitmire's is a little more defensible, but the other two, oof, not great. Uh, which, by the way, takes us finally to Bellator one eighty nine. I believe this was in Old Nubberville. Yes, it was Windstar World Casino, Thackerville, Oklahoma. Um, Sam Cecilia on the prelim card, defeating Marcos Galvan, unanimous decision, 29-28. That's a nice win for him at the featherweight class, by the way, for Ole Galvan, for those who are keeping score. Julia Budd defeats uh, Arlene Bienko, split decision, 49-46, 47-48, 49-46. She retains her title. Um, this is the one to pay attention to. Rafael Lovato Jr. defeating Chris Honeycutt, 29-28, then 230-27. Honeycutt was a runner-up for the national title at Edinburgh, went and trained at the dethroned base camp with Josh Koscheck, and has come a long way. He's a significantly improved fighter, but I don't know that he's come along as like the blue-chip prospect that we had imagined he would be at some point. And Lovato Jr., man, you all know about his jiu-jitsu. Aggressive, got it in every position, but his game is now well-rounded enough where he does not need it. If you told him he can't use jiu-jitsu other than maybe, you know, I don't know to hold mount if he had it or something, he could do it. He could win on the feet, and he could win in wrestling. He can do a lot of things. He's a little bit older, so his punches are a little bit slower um, as an athlete than you know than maybe they were if he'd been throwing them 10 years ago. But very, very impressed already with Rafael Lovato Jr. as a middleweight. He can do it all already. He's got a great base. Um, he's a talented guy. Uh, Chidi and Jaquani defeating Hisaki Kato, 30-27 across the board. And Adam Piccolotti on a bit of a back-to-back -back losses here. You know, black belt out of AKA. Was well, an up-and-coming talent for Bellator. He's dropped two in a row now. This one had a catchweight at 160 to David Rickles. 30-27 across the board. He really lumped up Piccolotti in that contest. Gave him a, appeared to have broken his eye, uh, his orbital. Um, okay, so that's that. Let's do this now. Let's talk about um, how Max Holloway defeated Jose Aldo again. How did he do it again? What you're going to see is I have pinpointed three different reasons. Um, there may be four or five or six, but I'm going to pick the three ones that stood out to me. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire fight and show every slide I can. There's about 50 slides or so, not that many. We can go through these pretty quickly. But I want to think about the first fight. So I'll link up the, um, I'll link up the old Monday Morning Analyst 
uh, in the comment section below in the uh, the description box because you should watch it as we go and explain exactly how he does things because he does something in the first fight that he doesn't do in the second fight. He actually does the opposite of it in the second fight. And to do that, to go one way and win and then another way and win is just so utterly, completely, totally remarkable. It deserves some praise. So there are three reasons why I can say that Max Holloway defeated Jose Aldo. This is them. Are the three main reasons why Max Holloway was able to beat Jose Aldo again. Let me read them off to you and then we're going to go into detail on all three. Number one, he changed direction. Number two, he kept what worked from their first encounter and brought it back to the second encounter. And then number three, he attacked the body. Now, he attacked the body in the first fight quite often, but he went even more to it this time, which I think you'll agree as we go through these, played a big role in why he was ultimately able to win. So these are the three main reasons together just from a macro perspective let's dive into each of them and see what i mean let's go first to what does it mean to say he changed direction in the first fight which i've put a little bit of a snippet here on camera you can see in the moving video below max holloway was able to beat jose aldo but he did something kind of interesting he went counterclockwise circling him the almost the entire fight now, he, it looked pretty similar to what he was doing. He was standing in an orthodox stance that time. He was standing in an orthodox stance this time. Um, he was working the jab in the body a lot in the first fight. And he's working the jab a body a, a lot in the second fight. But what you noticed automatically is, overwhelmingly, the I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this in really any capacity. Max Holloway spent almost the entire first fight rotating in a counterclockwise direction. Now, there's other things he did which are a part of step two, keep what works, that play a role in that. But let's just sort of talk about just that notion for a second. Understand that when you circle one way, certain offensive opportunities open up, certain defensive liabilities open up, certain shots are there, certain shots are not there. And again, he spent the majority of the time going counterclockwise, away from the right leg of Jose Aldo, away from the right... Uh, arm, the hand, the fist of Jose Aldo towards the jab, towards the outside of that. Now, he still scored from an orthodox position predominantly, but he went counterclockwise. In this fight, he did exactly the opposite. In this fight, he goes clockwise. He goes into the leg of Jose Aldo, the right leg. He goes into the right arm of Jose Aldo. Just consider what that means for a moment here, ladies and gentlemen. He was able to take some of the things that worked from the first and second fight, yes. But he fought basically Jose Aldo one way the first time. And then directionally switched everything to make it work in the opposite direction. I cannot stress enough to you how impressive that is. I cannot think of many fighters who I could reasonably trust to pull that off. There's a lot of guys who can switch stances. There's a lot of guys who can switch stances in combination. There's very few who can stay in basically one stance, basically, and basically push in one direction, and then almost do the opposite the second time, where you're presenting a new look, a new challenge, a new dynamic, and everything is backwards that time. That is, very, I mean, not everything, but a lot of things are backwards. That is so uniquely impressive. So you've seen below, and you can go back, and I'll, I'll link the last Monday Morning Analyst I did about this for the first time they fought at UFC 212, where he goes, Max Holloway, 
counterclockwise. Now watch him go clockwise. Here he is. This is the first round. Watch him, and I, when I was watching this in real time, I was like, why is he putting his back to the fence? This is why. They're trying to, in the words of his own cornerman, smother this hip. That's why they're changing direction. Again, it's not that you can't win either way. It's just that most people can't pull off, reasonably speaking, that task. Let me beat Jose Aldo rotating one direction. Let me beat Jose Aldo rotating another direction. I am I am like blown away by it sounds simple. It is not. It is very, very, very difficult to be able to pull off something like this and watch him do it. Now, yes, there's moments where he'll fade right. And there's moments where he backs up and comes in. He comes at a distance. He doesn't just march in one direction. You know, he makes it, um, you know, he, he he's on his toes a lot and, and he's doing the things he needs to do. But the, the trajectory is clear. Look at him pushing in. Why is he pushing in to smother this hip? Number one, Jose Aldo's right arm is a little bit more defensive than his left. He kind of keeps his right close and he keeps his left kind of pawing outside. It takes away a bit of that left hook. It forces this right leg back where if he's always in motion and he's pressing in, and you notice he's never too far away, he's also just close enough in distance where Jose Aldo has to really kind of pay attention to it. So what he's able to do is he's able to just shut this down because this guy, this leg, has to keep moving to the outside. This arm, he wants to parry this one, and he does because um, Aldo's still a little bit, excuse me, Holloway's still a little bit far away early in this first round. But you see what he's up to. You see what he's doing. He throws the cross and he misses. Okay, boom. And then they restart here. Look at that, still rotating. Is that not crazy? He goes completely the opposite direction, and it. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of um, Fedor shutting down Krokop, marching into him, marching into that side. Yes, there's some risk there associated with doing that, but if you can constantly back them up, and if you can constantly back them up directionally in a way where you know Frankie Edgar was trying to fade this way too, but a couple things Frankie Edgar would do, he would fade out and he would fade right like Holloway, but he would do it way outside in these big sweeping arcs. So that by the time he was coming in this direction, Aldo could time it. Uh, Aldoway never took that much time back or away. He kind of just always stayed, not always, but again, stayed enough of a consistent presence in this pocket to just force problems to Aldo and take away his biggest weapons, that leg kick. Yes, Aldo had his moments where he landed the leg kick and he couldn't throw it in the first fight, but this change of direction Really quite brilliant. I'm I'm honestly like I the first time they when they was watching this on Saturday night, I didn't even notice it. This is if I play if I play this tape, look, if look, this is the four play of the tape. If I play I'm gonna play the tape backwards or I'm gonna put the slides backwards. This is the direction he went last time. This is the direction he went on Saturday. It's it's shocking. It's completely, completely shocking that somebody can do that. And beat the greatest featherweight of all time. I can rotate left. I can rotate right. It really doesn't matter. I can beat you. And it must have been a bit disarming for Jose to fight a guy who went one direction the whole time and now goes completely the opposite direction the second time. Absolutely brilliant. This was one key to uh, 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 Max Holloway's win that I was I didn't notice it the first time they fought. Or I didn't notice it, rather, I should say, the first time watching this on Saturday night. And then I was like, you know what, let me go back and watch the first fight and see what I noticed. And right away, Max Holloway went one time, one time, and a different direction the second time, and looked even better the second time doing it. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot count on one hand the number of fighters who could do that. That is extraordinary. That is extraordinary. That requires a level of positional dexterity, spatial awareness 
and ambidextrousness, that's even a word, that almost nobody has. He, Max Holloway doesn't do super flashy things, but he's got a modular command of the game where he can just build whatever kind of offense he needs to beat you. If, he, if a guy can rotate one direction and do the exact opposite the next time, now he wasn't in an opposite stance the whole time, but if he can rotate that direction the opposite time, push into you in a completely different way, that is incredible. What, what an amazing ability to adjust by Max Holloway. Number two, keep what worked. Now, there was a lot of things that worked from the first time that they couldn't bring into the second time, in part because of step one, they had changed direction. But there were some things that they could bring along with them from the first fight to the second fight. And what worked in the first fight that they were able to bring here? Number one, obviously sticking a jab in his face, constantly moving. We talked about the movement, not just directionally, which way he's going this time, but also, look, get in, get out. What they, were really, what they really wanted him to do was go one, one, two, or one, three. So that would be jab, cross with the same hand. Because you'll notice that Jose Aldo, if he slips to punch one way, he'd often slip to his own right. So they thought if you could go one, three, you could catch him doing that. It wasn't all altogether that successful, but um, certainly the jab was successful. And then uh, we'll talk about more body work as well. But let's talk about what worked in terms of non-body work that they were able to keep. We can look at some things. Number one, one of the things that they were able to do was this. One, one aspect of Max Holloway's pressure is, yes, we know which direction he's going to go. He's going to change direction into this. But sometimes he has to come forward, right? Here's what he would do. They knew that, and you saw these pivots, Aldo would do them against Edgar as well. Aldo will, he will slip the punch and then pivot and turn to change the angle. Max Holloway wants him to do that because what he would do in the first fight, Max Holloway is, he would collapse the pocket, he would pressure Aldo, and what you saw Aldo would do is he take these, he wouldn't run back in a straight line, he'd take these big sweeping motions one direction. He would walk back in like half a parabola almost, right? What Max Holloway would do is follow him and then change directions at the end of that sweep and then catch him with a punch he wasn't expecting a la Forrest Griffin, Anderson Silva, right? Anderson Silva would pressure Forrest Griffin back, and as he would, switch sides at the last minute, switch stances, boom, and catch him with what, you know, what used to be a jab is now a hook kind of thing, or a cross, rather. So here's what he does, the same thing. Watch, he's going to press forward, and he did a little bit of this, hand trapping on this side, then coming with the right. He misses, or like it gets semi-blocked, and watch here, Aldo kind of, He's waiting for Aldo to make a turn, and what do you notice about his stance? It's now switched. He started here, right hand back, orthodox. He collapses the pocket, waits for Aldo to turn, and he's ready now in a left-handed stance. He did that all the time in the first one, and what that caused in the first fight was, one, he could catch him at the end of this combination. Now, he doesn't in this one, but he does later, which we're going to look at in just a second. But one, those big sweeping motions take a lot of energy. Aldo was getting confused at the end of them by Holloway switching stances. Um, and what it ultimately did was, as it tired Aldo out, it forced him to rely more heavily on flat feet and trunk movement. And that's where Holloway stopped him the first time, and it's exactly what happens in this fight. Now, not the exact same series of punches, but more or less the same trajectory of the fight. He gets him basically behind the two black lines here, flat-footed, doing trunk movement, and uh, Holloway tees off on him. Let's look at another example of it, right? Here we go. They're facing off. What do you notice here? Right-handed stance, right? Which way is he circling? He's going to come in and around. Here he is. He fires the jab as he steps in, Right? And another thing he wanted, part two of number two, keep what worked, they wanted to get Aldo reacting. 
Make him reactive. Not only should you be more frequent with the touching, if you're Max Holloway, you should be on top of that, getting him to react to what you're doing. Make him expend energy. Be first so you land the offense. Then when he reacts, you're not there. They liked it when, again, he would go 1-2 and 1-3. Jab cross, jab lead hook. They were really looking for that the entire time, right? That's really, really what they wanted. Um, so if we take a look at that, here we go back to the first one, catching him at the end of stances. This was a common, common, common way in which Aldo was getting his lunch money taken here a little bit. Watch what happens here. Here comes Max Holloway in a right-handed stance, constantly circling this direction, right? Covering the right side of your screen. And he's going to come in, watch this. He's going to step to the outside, look how close they are. He's going to fire the jab, misses, because he has to come across his body as Aldo rotates, but what do you think is going to happen here when he rotates? There he is. He's going to be in the left-handed stance. He catches him clean with a right hook. Boom. Boom. Comes up now. Stays in the left-handed stance. And this was how he always went back to the other stance if he had his choice. He would step in with a jab, which he catches him again, right? Pops his head back. Then comes in with a side kick to create distance. And then switches back to orthodox. So he is, a lot of times guys will switch stances at the end of a combination or without really much consideration for what's happening. And they can get caught because there could be defensive lapses as a consequence. Max Holloway mitigates that by pushing off, then switching. Let's go back and look at that one more time very quickly, right? Comes in, steps with a, kind of almost like a stepping jab hook, right? Because you can see uh, Aldo s slips to the inside and then pivots. Gets caught with a left hook as Max Holloway switches. And, I mean, it's just less motion for Max Holloway. If you can switch stances in the combination, you don't have to whip around as much. You can just stop in place so you can get to point A to point B faster. Boom. Pops the jab. Gets on him. Sticks him out. Turns. It's pretty incredible what he was able to do here. And on top of that, if we're looking at some of the things... And again, there's more things to what worked than that. Movement. You'll notice that Jose Aldo was able to land the leg kicks a couple of times here. More than that, a few times. And they landed with some pretty decent authority. In large part, you'll see that it's because Max Holloway gets a little bit flat-footed at times. And when he did, Jose Aldo paid for it. Or, excuse me, made him pay for it. But most of the time, that change of direction, I think... Really confused Aldo, keeping what worked, catching him at the end of combinations by switching stances, um, confusing him there, um, staying mobile, right, in and out, in and out, one, two, in and out, one, three, in and out, uh, and then constantly pressuring him. So it's that movement, right, that's a big part of it. Uh, it's catching him at the end of combinations, that's another one, getting him to react. Those three parts, I would say, he kept what worked from um, the second time around. Now that brings us to the third one, attacking the body. Now, let's be clear about this. Max Holloway did a great job of attacking the body in the first fight. It's not here to say that he didn't. And you could say, well, Luke, why don't you just keep it as part of the second one? I guess I could have, except I just wanted to really highlight it. I want to really highlight it. And let's take a look at some stats. This is from Holloway Aldo 1. Or I should say Aldo Holloway 1 because he was the champion at that time. Now, look, normal caveat supply. Stats don't tell you the whole story. I'm not here to suggest that they do, but they are at least a little illustrative in this case. Now, it's going to be confusing because Holloway is blue here and he's red in the next slide, but just work with me for a moment if you can. So what do you notice here? 
Uh, Holloway went to the body 83% of the time. Excuse me, went to the head 83% of the time. Went to the body 15, went to the leg 0. You'll notice that there was a conspicuous lack of leg kicks in the first one. 1% for Jose Aldo, 23% to the body. So one out of every four, really. And then the rest, he was kind of headhunting. But more so, you could see he was headhunting here. Plus, you can see Max Holloway went to the body 7 times, landing 5 in the first. Went there 10 times, landing 7. And only 4 in the third when he was putting him away. Of course, there were a lot more ground strikes. You can see 4 41, a 55 on the ground overall, head strikes 92 in that round. So there was a lot of work being had there, um, just to be completely clear. But let's take a look now at how that changed just a little bit. Oh, and by the way, real quickly, you had Holloway at 12, 28, and 64, respectively, Aldo 19, 29, and 7. What's different in the second fight? Let's take a look. Okay, this is now the second one, and again, now Holloway is the red. But before you'll recall, he was around 15% to the body in the first one. Now he's 20%. Still heavy on the head. You can see here, still about the same percentage for Aldo. 74% up top. He just split. Remember, he was almost like 25% up here. Now he's 14 and 10. So a little bit more on the leg kicks. But that's really not... I mean, if, you, if I told you that 10% of the strikes that Jose Aldo landed in a fight on Max Holloway, and they only stood the entire time, basically, you only landed 10%, you know, overall in terms of the proportion of offense, you would say that's not a lot. You would say it's not a lot. Um, it's still something, it counts, but you can see he did a really good job of neutralizing that. Plus, look at the output, 4 of 5, that's about the same from four, 5 of 7 in the first. Here we go, a bit of a jump. He was 7 of 10 in the second round the first time. Now he's 11 of 16, so he went even more. And look at this, 21 of 24. When he had him hurt standing, they he notoriously, notoriously went after the body. So it's not a significant change, but it is what I would call a noticeable, meaningful change in the way they attack the body. And again, you can look at this, round one, 25 of 89, 18 of 50, uh, 48 for then Aldo. This one's a little bit different than the first round of the first fight. Second one, very, very similar, uh, 41 of 104, then 31, excuse me, of um, 52. This is based on percentage. And then you can see this one here in the third round. Uh, 108 of 24, 38 of 63. So you can see he did a much better job of accumulating damage to the body as the fight went on. That was a big key consideration. Let's look at some slides that kind of show us a little bit of that. Okay, here we are now in the third round. And there's been a lot that happened in this third round. We're just going to look at this very quickly. He's got him here in orthodox stance behind the two lines. Remember I said before in the first fight, he would collapse the pocket, force Aldo back. Aldo would retreat in these big scoops. And Holloway would catch him at the end, switching stances into the combination. So then... Over time, Aldo got tired and would just rely on flat feet and trunk movement. Here we are, deja vu all over again. He has compounded the problem now, but instead of being in the center of the cage, now he has his back against it. I mean, this is a nightmare. This is a nightmare scenario for Jose Aldo. So let's look at this. Boom, misses with an uppercut. What do you think is going to happen? As Aldo retreats out to the side, he's just going to follow him, cracks him with a right hook. He's going to keep on him and then fires a left hand over the top. Aldo ducks it. I'm kind of in the way here. And then he comes back over the top with the right now from after he had switched stances. So he comes here. They stay here. He switches now, left leg forward. Now he's back to a right-handed stance. So here, here, left-handed, here, left-handed, pivots, goes to a right-handed stance, even though he's throwing the, uh, the right hand. He's throwing it now as a cross. So he's constantly pivoting and confusing, going through it. Here's Jose Aldo. He hasn't gone to the head yet. Watch. Or yet, watch. Uh, or excuse me, to the body yet. What am I saying? Hasn't gone to the body yet. So let's watch this. Here he is. He backs up off of him. Now they both throw and they kind of land on each other at the same time, right? They clinch. They separate. 
He stays in a left-handed stance, catches him with a shot, throws a kick, follows up, and now he's back in an orthodox stance. So we got that stance switching. You're saying, Luke, where's the body work? Hold on just a second. Here it comes. He's going to step in, throws a jab. Jose leans out. Boom. Goes right to the body down below. Did a much better job of this this time around. Did a much better job of this this time around. Body head, body head. Let, again, his coaches kept calling for that 1-3. Uh, you know, This was a little bit better in my judgment of a call. Let's watch it again. Different one. Goes through a jab. Jose Aldo leans off. He comes around, changes at angles to now he's in a left-handed stance. Boom. Catches him with a hook. What's he going to do? Boom. Goes right to the body. Went over and over and over to the body again. This is, to me, everything. This is everything all at once. Like, why did Max Holloway win? Well, number one, he got him tired, so he was using truck movement. But before this, he was changing direction. And so what does he do? He leads with the jab. He knows what you're going to do. So instead, when he knows you're going to, when you lean off to the right like that, he knows that Aldo's going to take this right leg and pivot and turn right behind it. And he, by the way, as a consequence, taking away the right leg, he does. So what does, what does Holloway do? He stands in position, this time just using that ambidextrousness, stays in a left-handed stance, catches him with a shot to the body, another hook to the head, and then another shot to the body. I mean, this is pretty remarkable stuff, ladies and gentlemen. I just, it, it, you look at Anderson Silva and all the front kick to the face when no one was doing stuff like that, and it's amazing. You look at the relentless takedown ability of Habib Nurmagomedov, and you say to yourself, my God, how can somebody do something like that? You have to think about Max Holloway's game as modular, as something you can just take and build like Legos. Whatever shape it needs to take, it can, because you can just modify it to that direction. Does he have the most amazing jab in MMA by itself? I don't know that he does. It's a very good one. I don't know that it's the best. Does he have the best footwork in MMA? It's very good, but by itself, I don't know that it's the best. Does he have the best armbar from the guard in MMA? I'm sure it's very good, but I don't know that it's the best. It's not about that. It's that imagine if you are very, very good at many, many different things, and you can just take that direction however you need to, depending on what the challenge is especially in the stand-up department. He can move different directions. You'll recall in the Lamas fight, I think he fought that entire thing southpaw. And then Aldo, he fights right-handed. Here he fights Aldo right-handed again for the most part, except he just changed direction on him. H how do you fight that guy? <laughs> how, do you fight? how do you fight a guy like that? It d you have nowhere to hide. You have nowhere to hide against Max Holloway. It does not matter where you are in that octagon. He is leaving trap doors, and he is slamming other doors in your face. And over time, when you get tired, and he doesn't, then the end happens. Max Holloway is an incredible, incredible talent. And this was a master class in adjustments. Last but not least, let's take a look at what some of the MMA that's coming up in the week ahead. A few things to pay attention to. There's obviously going to be um, some smaller cards but let's talk about the ones that we uh, know of for sure here. Hold on, let me pull this up, pull this up. Uh, first of all, there's another UFC event next weekend. Swanson versus Ortega. This will be at the Save Mart Center in Fresno, California. Cub Swanson taking on Brian Ortega. Jason Knight versus Gabriel Benitez. Marlon Moraes taking on Aljamain Sterling. That's a big one. Scott Holtzman versus Daryl Horcher. Eric Anders versus Marcus Perez. Alba Morales versus Benito Lopez. Then on the prelim card, Alexis Davis is back against Liz Carmouche. Luke Sanders versus Andre Sukmantat. Carl's Johns de Tomas versus Alex Perez. Frankie Signs versus Mirab Devalashilavili. 
Uh, Chris Grutzmacher versus Davi Ramos, the ADCC winner. Alejandro Perez taking on Yuri Alcantara and Antonio Brago Neto versus uh, Trevin Giles. Also on that weekend is going to be Bellator. Let's see one. Oh, I'm pulling this up here. One ninety. Yes, it is. Uh, Bellator 190 is going to have, in the main event, Rafael Carvalho defending his title against Alessio Sakara, Lena Ovich-Ninkova against Alejandro Lara, that's the Colombian girl, who's out now out of Mexico, Brandon Gertz taking on Luka Jelcic, uh, and then Mikhail Nika taking on Carlos Miranda. This will be in Florence, Italy at the Nelson Mandela Forum. There will also be a kickboxing card with Kevin Ross, Joe Schilling, Raymond Daniels, um, and some other ones as well. And last but not least, there's also an Invicta card on Friday at the Scottish Rite Temple in Kansas City. Jennifer Maya defends her flyweight title against Agnieszka Niedvich, I guess. Uh, Kimberly Novice taking on John Aisa Morandin. Mackenzie Dern returns to action against Kayleen Medeiros. Vanessa Porto versus Milana Dudieva. Amy Montenegro versus Verna Jandiroba. Amber Brown versus Tessa Simpson. Karina Rodriguez versus Christine Ferreira or Faria. And then Kay Hansen versus Emily Prince. Okay. If you have any questions, email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. You can get at me on Instagram and Facebook, also at LukeThomasNews. Thank you guys so much for watching. Give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to MMA Fighting. And then until next time, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the fights.